You know, I guess I think I've always been a professional critic, you know, or some sort of professional appreciator or something. This is serious business here, man. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. During their short run in the late 80s, the Vaselines made a big impact. Now they're back with their long-awaited follow-up. I'm Greg Cott from the Chicago Tribune. And I'm Jim DeRogatis from WBEZ and Columbia College. We're joined in the studio by Scottish indie pop group The Vaselines. And later on, Greg and I review the new album by rapper Lupe Fiasco. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. From WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX, you're listening to Sound Opinions. And now it's time for some music news. Peace up, A-Town. That is Usher with his big 2004 hit, Yeah. And Jim, it looks like he's having trouble saying anything but yeah to uh, big money offers, at least when it comes from Libyan dictators. <laughs> this has turned into a big story in the pop world. Usher, the latest R&B star, to acknowledge that he played a big money gig for the son of Libyan dictator Muammar Gaddafi. In recent weeks, we have seen admissions by the likes of Nelly Furtado, Beyonce, and Mariah Carey fessing up that, yeah, we took the big money from Gaddafi, and we're going to give it back. And now Usher is saying, yeah, I'll admit that I played this gig in 2009. I didn't know what I was getting into at the time, but now people have shown me the error of my ways, and I'm going to start donating some of the money from future gigs that I have so it's, to it, charities. It's not like they flew to Tripoli to play these <laughs> shows, right? No, the gig that is in question was a New Year's Eve gig in 2009 in St. Bart's, and a number of these performers are claiming they didn't know what it was for. Well, that's disingenuous to a degree. Russell Simmons, the hip-hop impresario, he was twittering about it and saying, you know, I'm here at the Gaddafi party. So people in the audience knew what the party was all about. How did one of the performers not know? Not so sure. Well, and of course, now you have it in the news everywhere, people in Libya rising up and demanding democracy in the face of this dictatorship. But this has been a problem, the Gaddafi regime, for decades. Other performers, Jim, who have been linked to taking big cash payouts from the Gaddafi regime include Timbaland, Lionel Richie, 50 Cent, Enrique Iglesias. They have not responded yet to these accusations, but it's a dirty little secret of the music industry. These pop performers will play high money gigs, private gigs, for any just about anybody around the world. We're talking about baptisms, weddings, bar mitzvahs, 16th birthday parties. But here the extra spin is that now we've got one of the most uh, reviled people on earth financing these gigs. And these pop stars, for the most part, have been happy to take the money.
Oh, I love those drums. Greg, there's only one man can play like that, and it is Phil Collins that is in the air tonight. The original, not any of the many hip-hop recordings that have sampled it. Why are we talking about Phil Collins? There has been a story in the news lately that Collins, at age 60, just turned 60 in January, is retiring from music. He has been in the music industry for five decades, Mm, started out as a child actor. And it's rare to see someone who is still filling houses whenever he tours, still selling records, retire and say, that's it, I'm done. There have been all sorts of different reasons put behind this. Number one, that he had nerve damage, could no longer play the drums. Number two, he's feeling old and out of touch with the current digital generation of music lovers. Number three, there even was a rumor that his passion on the side, he is the biggest collector of historical memorabilia from the Alamo in the world, and he's put a lot of his money into restoring the Alamo and the Daughters of the Texas Revolution. No, none of that is true. He just posted on his website the real reason, all this other stuff. I don't know where people are getting it. I have two young children. He wants to help raise them. He's living in Switzerland to do that. I think that's pretty cool. You and I talk about this from time to time. Never see people in popular music retire anymore. And even if they do, it's temporary, and a few years later, they come back for the big cash-in reunion tour. I've had my love-hate relationship with Phil. Everything he did in Genesis up to, and then there were three. was pretty darn brilliant, mm, okay? Sure. Played with Brand X, that incredible jazz fusion band. Played on Another Green World by Brian Eno. Okay, I kind of like Phil, but he also is a crotchety interview, and he's done nothing good in the last two decades. However, I think it's noble what he's doing. I want to throw it out to our listeners. Who do you think has retired with style and grace from the world of popular music? And does it matter to you if they come back or not? 888-859-1800. We always love to hear your thoughts and put them on the air. She said she'll take me anyway, she'll take me anyway, as long as she stays with me. She said she'll take me everywhere, she'll take me anywhere, as long as I'm good and clean. Kiss, kiss, Molly's lips, kiss, kiss, Molly's lips, kiss, kiss, Molly's lips, kiss, kiss, Molly's lips. You're listening to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. And up next is our conversation with the Vaselines. The Scottish indie pop group was helmed by Eugene Kelly and his girlfriend at the time, Frances McKee, when they formed in 1986. And then, after uh, three years, two singles, and one album, the couple and the band both broke up. Their sound, however, managed to make its way across the pond and live on, getting college radio airplay and the notice of emerging bands like Mud Honey and a little group called Nirvana. In fact, Kurt Cobain and company would go on to cover a couple of Vaseline's tracks, including the song you just heard, Molly's Lips, and Kurt Cobain convinced the band to briefly reunite and open for Nirvana in 1990. Now, two decades later, the Vaseline's are back with a new sub-pop album called Sex with an X. We had Eugene Kelly, Francis McKee, and the whole band in the studio to perform and to talk about their brief but brilliant career, their extended hiatus, and getting back in the saddle again. Welcome to Sound Opinions. Hello. Hello. Before we get to the present, why don't we go back and do some ancient history? Coming together in Glasgow, which you taught me to finally say right. We've had like six Scottish bands in in the last two years. Greg and I slaughter it with no malice. We're just Americans. How did you guys come together, Eugene, and put the Vaselines into action? We used to see each other in the bus to school, but we went to separate schools. Then we met at a party, and then we kind of went out for a couple of years, and then we're in different bands, and then we thought, well, let's start a band together. 
We uh. didn't really like the bands that we were in, mm-hmm. so we'd have a kind of moan about it to each other. Well, we just started to to write songs. And yeah, just sing them. F- just for fun, really. And then somebody said, "Well, I like what you're doing. Can I release it?" And then that was that. And it was off and running. Yeah. You were a little bit out of step with the times, too, in terms of what was going on in the UK at the time. I mean, we had, like, I can recall, like, synth pop was floating around. New Romantics. Yeah, New Romantics. Yeah, we were the underground sort of indie rock scene. And, and that, but not, we didn't know that at the time. Yeah. <laughs> not widely accepted, I Yeah, think, we right? didn't realize we were underground. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that word primitivism is something that critics threw at you throughout your career. How much of it was intentional and how much of it was really that you were learning to make music as you were going, uh, it was it was hundred uh, percent music by dots, really. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. But you weren't going to let that stop you. Absolutely not. No, no, no. That's the whole. You, you know, Eugene says sort of underground music, but for me, it felt more punk rock. That mm-hmm. for me is what punk was. That anyone could do anything, even us. Yeah. <laughs> Without thinking about it, and I think that's the good thing about being young. You you, you are invincible, and you do think that you can just do things. You don't, you don't really know think you're... too much of the consequences. Yeah, yeah. Now we're old, we know we can't do lots of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but from the very beginning, e- even at their rawest, the Vaseline's always had this wonderful sense of melody. Was that just innate? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You like a good tune, you know. At the end mm-hmm. of the day, if you ha- if you haven't got a good tune, you haven't got anything. The music that I always listen to is very melodic. What was inspiring you? I think the biggest inspiration was Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood, and you can't mm. get any more melodic than that. Not that we could ever even aspire to that, but it certainly was something that we listened to a lot. Some velvet morning when I'm Our song, Son of a Gun, has the same kind of structure as Some Velvet Morning, just the two parts ah. going back and forward in different parts, completely different parts. And I think that was a we based that on. I'd never heard that. And, of course, that's a song beloved by Kurt Cobain. Yeah. And, and there was a little bit of attitude in the lyrics. I think you were... What do you mean? A little darkness. <laughs> a little darkness, a little sarcasm, humor, <laughs> elements that were well, perhaps we missing. Were frisky from- teenagers.
the two of you started barely knowing how to play your instruments. There was no sense early on of, I guess, basically a drum machine was the third member of the band, mm-hmm. right, early on? Yeah, it wasn't even a drum machine. It was a tape of a drum machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's how primitive we were. Yeah. We took lo-fi into negative numbers. <laughs> <laughs> but again, not as an aesthetic. That's just what you had available. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah. We didn't have friends who had drum machines, but we had a friend who would tape his drum machine and give us a tape of it. <laughs> <laughs> so you were took a little bit of cheek to go out there and play shows with the two of you barely knowing to how to play your instruments and a, a tape of a drum machine I, I, I think I would say naivety yeah. more than cheek yeah. because to be honest the penny only dropped when I stood on the stage and thought oh heck mm-hmm. I haven't a clue what I'm doing here so we just used to get monstrously drunk instead <laughs> false <laughs> courage really more than anything and what was the reception like from uh, your initial audiences not good no, I think at the beginning we went down quite well because we were playing lots of shows with the Glasgow band The Pastels in support of them and so I think their fans were quite warm towards us but it was only later on when we, we went on as a kind of four-piece and people started throwing things at us. <laughs> Ashtrays and... Cans of beer. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Stephen of The Pastels. He was sort of a, uh, a mentor or certainly a benefactor in some ways in, in terms of just putting the records out, right? He was, he was the yeah, guy. Yeah, he spotted us. And he, we he, a- yeah, we asked him about this last year when we were putting Enter the Vaselines together. And, and he said, which really surprised me, he, he said, I really liked the way you and Eugene looked. So... <laughs> That's why he doesn't work with us anymore. <laughs> um, and he just felt that we would we would do something good. And I thought, well, that's yeah, very yeah. believable of him. So it's not what you can do, it's how you look. There you go. There's, there's a lesson. Lady Gaga has, uh, yeah, has exactly. written that down and is mm-hmm. taking it to uh, the bank multi-millions of times. Well, from those humble origins, we now have the full band, minus drums, for this performance here. Why don't we get a song from you guys? Okay, this is called Such a Fool. And Francis knows all about this one. Oh yeah, well it's it's really about the ghost of boyfriend's past <laughs> and <laughs> and really just saying, yeah, I've moved on from that. What? (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't about you. Okay. Says one of the boyfriends past. I've had more boyfriends than he was only a wee minor blip blip in the whole romantic history of myself. (laughs) (laughs) So this one's not about you, Eugene. I know you'll think everything's about you, but it's not. It's about me. One, two, three, four.
That was Such a Fool by the Vaselines live on Sound Opinions. We've got more with the band after a short break on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. And then Greg and I review the latest from rapper Lupe Fiasco. Give it up In the past lane of misery and pain Give it up I've had a good time on the weeds and the wine And I can't give it up I've been up, been down, rolling both round And I can't give it up And I can't give it up Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and our guests this week are the group The Vaselines. That was a song from their latest album, Sex with an X. And Jim, this is a band that seemed to be going out of its way to avoid the sophomore slump. I mean, it took 20 years for them to follow up their debut album. So we asked singer-guitarist Eugene Kelly, who fronts the Scottish group along with Francis McKee, why they made fans wait so long. Yeah, we did wait up time because we thought well difficult second album syndrome maybe just maybe wait until we're sure about it <laughs> yeah. we haven't heard the records were scrapped getting to this one one album per century of course that's, there you yeah. go. that's all yeah. any band needs so the initial incarnation of vaseline's uh, 86 through 88 i don't know exactly if i got these numbers right but about 19 songs yeah one album yeah broke up with the thought that hey it was nice nobody cared Five thousand copies of those records filtered out i guess Primarily in the UK, I don't even think they got outside of the UK, right? Yeah, pretty much. I don't think. I thought it was only a thousand. Yeah, that got I, thought, I think you're exaggerating. Uh-huh. Our, yeah. our record. <laughs> Not <laughs> even that many, huh? The record, the record company would never have pressed five thousand. It yeah. was a thousand. It must have been remarkable to you that these bands from the Pacific Northwest in the US started talking about you and inviting you to play shows two years after you'd broken up. Absolutely, we had. I had only last year did I find out how our record actually got over to Seattle because I had no idea how how that happened and it was really because of um, Calvin Johnson uh, K Records. Mm-hmm. He had his own radio station and he had been beat happening, had played some shows with us and with the Pastels. He had taken our EPs and took them over to, to Olympia and started playing them and then Kurt heard them on the radio. It's bizarre but... So Nirvana goes on to cover... Molly's Lips, Son of a Gun, and Incredible, 
stirring performance, Jesus Don't Want Me for a Sunbeam. Jesus don't want me for a sunbeam Sunbeams are not like me Don't expect me to cry For all the reasons you have to die Greg and I were standing at the Aragon Ballroom here in Chicago when uh, Kurt picks up an acoustic guitar, and we're standing next to Jim Merlis, who was Nirvana's longtime publicist in the States, and they play that song. And our jaws drop, and we say to Jim, what is that? And Jim didn't know. He's working with the band. That was apparently the first time, and it's just stunning. How? As having had a hand in that, does it feel to hear a singer like that so clearly invested heart and soul into that song? Yeah, the first time I saw the Unplugged session was after Kurt had died. Mm. And I was watching it with a friend of mine who used to be their monitor engineer who worked with my band. And it was chilling, actually, because it was just kind of... It did put kind of the shivers up my spine watching it because he'd been, only been dead a few months and it was broadcast on British TV. And, uh, yeah, it was kind of pretty freaky. As musicians, when other musicians like, play your songs, it's a complete honour. Really, just you, you know that you've you've done something right if other musicians want to play your tunes. I think we always had a very slightly cynical mm. thought in our heads when we had that recording of the song. It's a sweet song, but we weren't singing it with sweet intentions. And I think when Kurt sings it, there's a, a whole different uh, meaning there. He seems to put a lot of soul into it that we only put cynicism into it. <laughs> <laughs> Although it, it has this beautiful uh, childlike melody and I guess that's based on a children's song right? That well, just a title uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's just a title, we didn't steal that song yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We didn't steal the melody It was just a, there's a song called Jesus Wants Me for Somebody and it's usually sung by like young children in mm-hmm. churches and it's mostly English song and we had it on a record and we just thought it was so sweet mm-hmm. and lovely that we wanted to destroy it. Sully it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's like drag it into the gutter. Uh, uh. Yeah. You've been incredibly frank, both of you in interviews I've seen, that that check comes like twice a year from Nirvana having covered three songs. And it's nice. It's an, it's given you some freedom. But but I've seen you say, Eugene, it's also made you uh, lazy. <laughs> well, yeah, it did for a few years. But then I'm naturally lazy. He is naturally lazy. Anything, naturally lazy. you know, to... F- don't get me started on that one. <laughs> you can't kick his butt into gear? Oh, nobody can. Well, it was a remarkable little period there. The Vaseline's entire catalog got reissued by Sub Pop in the early 90s. So suddenly America is aware of this band that doesn't exist anymore. But Kurt Cobain's singing your songs out there. Eugene, I know your band Eugenius did get signed to, I, be- I believe, a major label, right? Mm-hmm. Atlantic, yeah, Atlantic put, Records. Put out a- what were you doing during that period, Francis? I, um, I was a wholesome school teacher. Mm-hmm. I, I hung up my guitar. I taught for seven years and then that time realised that my songwriting days weren't really over and started to, to do my own solo things again. Looking back on that, on that stuff that you did together in the initial incarnation of the Vaselines, and it, it has been yet again reissued in a very nice package Sub Pop put out, does it hold up for you? Yeah, 
I mean, yeah, because it's weird because I think we didn't really listen to the Vaseline stuff for years and then when we started playing again we had to go back and listen to it and you record stuff and you go back and listen to it and you can cringe at all the mm-hmm. things you, you didn't we, we, we had a bit of a laugh when we were remastering the uh, the album we went back to Jamie who had produced it and we were like, Jamie, why is there so much reverb on those vocals? And then he would take the reverb off and especially on Lovecraft, oh my god, the vocals are so out of tune I've never laughed so much I mean, it just shows the naivety of us that yeah. we, we weren't a good censors for ourselves, whereas now we would, I would say no, that's out of tune. Yeah, reverb is um, a great saviour. Can cover up a lot of I sins can. right? But the good, I mean playing the songs again after all these years to be honest, to be brutally frank if someone had said to me, you're going to be playing these songs again, and I would be like, no way, because I can't stand them. But I actually began to, to like them again. Well, I want to talk about making the new album, but let's get another song first. Uh, what are you guys going to play next? Okay, this is called I Hate the 80s. One, two, three,
That is the Vaseline's on Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. He's Greg Cott. A wonderful song, I Hate the 80s. Did you? Eugene and Francis? <laughs> yeah, at the time we did. I think we were uh, kind of was... young people and you're kind of just full of frustration and, you know, you're living with your parents and you've got no money and you see Duran Duran on the TV and they're it's on a big boat in the yeah. Caribbean and you think... This is not my life. And we have Thatcher and we have Reagan. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we so. have a big miners' strike going on. and mm. It was really grim times, actually. In mm. retrospect, though, so many musicians in the 90s were saying, gee, everything was so much more exciting in the 80s. It was almost as if the music had to be more daring in reaction to a fairly horrible period. Yeah, the, I think music did go really synthy and really bad. And I think from there came the whole great independent music scene as we know it you know and and that really because at the same time with all the the synth and the new romantics we had punk rock which had kind of died in the embers and then started to come back in a different form one of the things i kept hearing from the indie bands of those of the 80s was that the music they made had a sort of certain purity to it because they realized there was absolutely no chance that this stuff was going to get played on radio it was not going to get picked up by a major label, so you might as well do exactly what you want to do. Exactly. Yeah, that applies or, to us. Uh, or do what you can do. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that <laughs> right. applies to us. With because your limited we, abilities. You just think, no one's going to buy this. We're not going to be pop stars. We're not going to get a major deal. So you just do what you want. You just have that freedom. There are a lot of bands. We're seeing a lot of survivors in the 90s now. You know, the Pixies are out there. They've been together now for like five years. We have no new Pixies music. And you see Pavement coming back. You stand at risk of uh, soiling the legacy by daring to move on. Did you care? Did you worry about it at all? We did, We yeah. did a bit, yeah, because uh-huh. it could easily come back and make a record that people would think, oh, why did they do that? It's ruined. It's totally spoiled the kind of the mystery that was about us. There was no pictures on of us about it. There was hardly any, I mean, recorded material. We could have come back and just ruined it. And we're so music, we you know, we're writers. That's what we do. So we had songs that we thought would pass the Vaseline test, and um, hopefully they have. Most people have come back and said that they, they like the new album. There's been a few critics that are like, oh, it's not like the old stuff. Yeah. It's too polished. The Vassings will never be polished. We just don't know <laughs> how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is perhaps the only criticism I've seen of it. People are a little disconcerted by the fact that you guys don't sound like your lower fi, as you said, in recording in somebody's bedroom. Well, uh, we didn't record in anyone's bedroom yeah. anyway, and we kept... The lo-fi aspect of this, we recorded it to tape. Everything's analogue. Mm-hmm. A lot of it was one takes with vocals and things like that. We recorded 13 songs in yeah, 12 days or I something. I still think it's so, pretty lo-fi compared uh-huh. to what other people do. Sure. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Sound Opinions, Greg Kai with Jim DeRogatis. We're here with the Vaselines. It's a real treat to be here with Eugene Kelly, Francis McKee, as well as Gareth Russell and Paul Foley. How about another song? This is an old one. This is called Slushy. Okay, everyone's ready. <laughs>
That's Slushy from the Vaselines on Sound Opinions. So that is 80s material? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. Uh, we had a wee discussion about that song on stage the other night. I always thought it was uh, Eugene's part was about me, and he told the audience it wasn't. We're debunking all the myths tonight about the songs that are not about each other. Well, we want to thank the Vaselines, Eugene and Francis. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Listen to the Vaseline's entire live performance and to watch video of them in the studio, visit soundopinions.org. To leave a comment to air on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. Coming up, Greg and I review the new album by self-professed nerd Lupe Fiasco. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ and PRX. Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRogatis, and that is a new track from the Lupe Fiasco album Lasers called Words I Never Said. The third studio album from this Chicago hip-hop artist created a new persona that hadn't really been seen before in the hip-hop world a few years ago with his debut album in 2006, Food and Liquor. This nerdy skateboarding street poet He acknowledged that he'd been shaped by the ghetto, grew up in the ghetto, but even as he detested how hip-hop had perverted ghetto culture and turned it into a marketing ploy, he protested against that. He said, you know, I'm going to rap about what I'm interested in, and it has nothing to do with this world of pathology that's being portrayed in mainstream hip-hop. Unique personality, successful personality. 2006, Food and Liquor, a fantastic debut. That great debut single, Kick Push, Followed it up with a really strong concept album in 2007 called The Cool. Now comes the difficult third 
album. A laborious process, as Lupe has documented in his interviews over the last few months, some real battles with the record company over whether this thing was even going to come out. There was a petition signed by his fans last year, 30,000-plus signatures, basically prompting the record company to put this thing out. Finally, they relented, set a release date for it. It is now finally here, more than three years in the making. We're going to review the album in a second, but let's play a track from it first. It's called All Black Everything from the new Lupe Fiasco album, Lasers, on Sound Opinions. You will never know what you could ever be If you never try, you will never see Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave So one no slave in a history One no slave ships, one no misery Call me crazy, or isn't he? See, I fell asleep, and I had a dream It was all black, everything we ain't get exploited, white man ain't fearing, so he did not destroy it. We ain't work for free, see they had to employ it. Built it up together, so we equally appointed. First 400 years, see we actually enjoyed it. Constitution written by W.E.B. Du Bois. When no reconstruction, civil war got avoided. Little black Sambo grows up to be a lawyer. Extra, extra on the newsstands. Black woman voted head of Ku Klux Klan. Malcolm Little dies as an old man. Martin Luther King read the eulogy for Ham. Followed by Bill O'Reilly who read from the Koran. President Bush sends condolences from Iran. Where Fox News reports lie that Ahmadini job wins the Mandela Peace Prize. You will never know what you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So one no slaves in our history. One no slave ships, one no misery. Call me crazy. Keeping it real's not an understood concept. Yeah, complexion's not a contest. Cause racism has no context. Hip hop ain't got a section called conscious. Everybody rapping like crack never happened. Crips never occurred, no bloods to attack then. Matter of fact, no hood to attack in. Somalia's a great place to relax in. Fred Astaire was the first to do a backspin. The Rat Pack was a cool group of black men that inspired five white guys called the Jacksons. Eminem fitted in, but then again, he inspired a black rapper trying to mimic him. And that's who really rose up out of Michigan. A sign of white rapper by the name of Fitness Sin. That is All Black Everything by Lupe Fiasco from album number three, Lasers. Greg, what a track. I love it. I, you see Lupe right at the height of his game where he is laughing at a world that is the flip side of the one we live in, where Bill O'Reilly reads the Koran and Somalia's a great place to relax in and go on vacation. The line where he imagines that the Rat Pack, Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra, were five African-Americans who inspired a young white band called the Jacksons. I just love that. But there is a serious point at the end of it. And we ain't got exploited. He raps, white man ain't fear it, so he did not destroy it. Imagine a world without racism. 
Lupe is never preachy because humor leavens everything he does. That track that we bumped in with, Words I Never Said, is a pretty harsh indictment of President Obama for not attacking certain injustices since he has come to be the most powerful man in the world. But he isn't condemning him. He's saying people have the power, essentially. It's a very 60s kind of hippie message, as befits this backpack rapper. Now, there's a lot of controversy over what are essentially inflated, blown-up, black-eyed peas-level choruses on a lot of these songs. There's a real slick production. I tell you, though, I think his word skills and his message are so powerful that some of the glossy pop stuff, he makes it his own. Is this my favorite Lupe Fiasco album of his three? No, but I still think it's a buy-it record. I think it's actually pretty brilliant. Well, I wish I could agree with you, Jim, but Lupe himself has said that this album has been a compromise. He loves it and hates it. He hates the process. He loves some of the tracks on it. But I have to say that it's very clear, the tracks that he was not so involved in. You've got these hit makers brought in to sing choruses and, in fact, steal the album from Lupe. I'm, I'm talking about the track with John Legend, with Trey Songs. I'm talking about that egregious, modest mouse sample from Float On on the track The Show Goes On. Lay. Kayla's in the building. Lupe is obviously struggling to please his record company and basically he said this thing isn't going to come out if you don't give us some hits see I think he so, wins at the end of the day well I think the tracks where clearly he was invested in those are amazing tracks they are top level work but half of this album sounds like Atlantic Records wanted to make that B.O.B. album again B.O.B. <laughs> presents the adventures of Bobby Ray it's exactly that record Jim go back and listen to that record from last year it is a piece of trash and I think Lupe got roped into that same thing from with Atlantic. This is how we make hip-hop records, fella. Lupe himself told me that I contemplated suicide while I was making this record. I don't think he was joking. I think it, it drove him to the brink in terms of, I've really got to sell a piece of my soul just to get this record out. I think what's going to be fascinating is where Lupe goes from here. Yeah. Clearly one of the most talented artists in hip-hop has made an album that he's not happy with, that I am going to give a burn-it rating to, only because there are several key Lupe tracks on here. But I don't think he can go on with this label making records like this for the rest of his career. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible on Sound Opinions, we like to take a trip to the desert island and drop a quarter in the jukebox to play a track we cannot live without. And this week, it is Jim's turn. Thank you, Greg. You know, we read all the email we get from listeners, and, and we don't always have time to respond to all of it, but it, but it registers. Fred Meyer 
heard our recent interview with Jack Holtzman, the founder of Electro Records. And he said, in tonight's program with Jack Holtzman, you mentioned his work with Paul Butterfield. I'd love to hear you fellas present some history and analysis of Butterfield's career, particularly the track East West. Seems like Fred grew up in the Hyde Park neighborhood of Chicago, which is where Paul Butterfield grew up. And I think that song in particular, East West, doesn't get nearly the attention it deserves in the rock history books because... I think it is not only the birth of a merger with Western music and Indian raga, but the birth of psychedelic rock in a lot of ways. It was written by the guitarist, Mike Bloomfield, who had had his first profound acid trip in 1965 and was listening to some Indian raga records. And suddenly the key to the universe was unlocked, as well as the complicated modes and rhythms of of that Indian music. He brought it into the Butterfield Band, and they began to work on this very long jam. The way that it made the second Butterfield album, which is titled East West, after the song, it's only 13 minutes in length, but it could often go on as long as half an hour when they played it live. In fact, in early 66, they went and did a week-long series of shows at the Fillmore in San Francisco. And in attendance, every night, were the Grateful Dead before they really coalesced as a band. They would give credit to Butterfield saying the birth of the dead sound was really inspired by that song East West. It had ramifications on the other side of the world, too, because Joe Boyd tells the story that he signed Fairport Convention because he saw a young Richard Thompson sitting, playing guitar, playing East West. This song is forgotten in a lot of ways because it was from the blues world. But the stuff that these guys are doing here, Butterfield, who is a harmonica player, is commenting on the droning raga-like melodies that Bloomfield is playing with these commenting harmonica harmonies, right? And it really is neat. The drums are doing that kind of uh, multi-textured, polyrhythmic Indian feel at different points. There's all sorts of stuff happening. And there's also a lot of free jazz in this mix. So when you have later bands like the Stooges or the MC5, it's all really coming from this incredible song, East West. It's about time we give some respect to Chicago and Paul Butterfield and the blues band with this song, East West, on Sound Opinions.
That is the Paul Butterfield Blues Band with East West. The Sound Opinion's Desert Island Jukebox is supported by Maker's Mark. Maker's Mark Bourbon, it is what it isn't. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Jim, next week we're going to take a look at the volatile intersection of music sampling and copyright law. Greg, as always, we have some thank yous to say on the way out. The Vaselines were recorded by Mary Gaffney. Our production team includes intern Nick Myers. If he was a Vaseline song, he'd be teenage superstars. Jason Saldana is one of our producers, son of a gun. Robin Lynn is the other one, Molly's Lips. And our fearless leader, our executive producer, Tori Southside Malatia. Jesus don't want him for a Sunday. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey guys, this is Bobby from Nashville. I just listened to your Jack Halsman episode. I heard a listener call from uh, Chris from Reno providing what he dubbed constructive criticism over your reporting of the fiscal and corporate aspect of the music industry. Chris said he didn't want to hear it, but with all due respect to Chris, I feel like that portion of the show is the most important aspect of Sound Opinions and provides great relevance to your program. As much as I enjoy hearing in-studio performances and reviews of pop records that I maybe occasionally agree with, when you report on the corporate monopolies and the industry bullying of private citizens who download an album that isn't really good enough to waste 20 bucks on, or the continued scalping of major record companies that is placed upon artists and music fans in an attempt to convince us that they are still relevant. But when I hear these things that are generally underreported by the mainstream media, it reminds me why your show is actually important. So yes, more reporting. Keep up the great work, guys. Hey, guys. My name's Catherine. I'm from Chicago. As always, I love, I love listening to you guys. One thing I have a problem with is sort of both of you criticized P.G. Harvey for having an annoying voice on her most recent album. And I'm not going to argue with you particularly, but I find that men get away with annoying voices a lot of the time in rock, and women kind of have two options. You have a pretty voice, you know, or you have to have a really aggressive voice. You know, it can be a bad voice, but it has to be really aggressive and, and punk rocky and yelling, whereas guys can have really obnoxious voices, horrible diction, thinking about Bob Dylan... Um, Elvis Costello, who I think has a really obnoxious voice. And even Michael Stipe from R.E.M. There's a problem that is Just my two cents. I'm always looking out for how women are perceived in rock, and I usually really appreciate the way that you uh, handle that kind of stuff, but... I was a little annoyed by that one. Anyway, great show, and I'll keep listening. Thanks. Bye. Hey, guys. This is Scott Rissen. I'm calling from Raleigh, NC, and I'm calling in response to your recent review of Destroyers Kaput. And I've never been a big fan of... Dan Behar's solo work or his work with outside of the new pornographers. So I really expected to totally agree 100% with your review. 
But since then, I've had a chance to listen to the whole album, and the truth is, I really kind of love it. I was poor in love, I was poor in wealth, I was okay in everything else there was, oh, I was poor in love. I was poor in love. And I think the reason is that I had the right gateway drug, and that's an album called Related by a band called Gangs. That's G-A-Y-N-G-S. And Gangs is kind of a supergroup with members from Megaphone, the Rosebuds, Bon Iver, a bunch of other folks, I think just two dozen people in the band. And they created an album that's full of songs that are all at 69 beats per minute, have uh, that kind of gauzy saxophone sound, some shimmering keyboards, and that late-night come-down vibe that just puts you in the right state of mind to understand where Dan Behar is coming from with the new Kaput album. Thanks, guys. Love the show. messages to give us your opinions on sound opinions call our hotline 888-859-1800 we'll be back next week with more sound opinions produced by wbez chicago and distributed by prx